Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a very special uh, guest in our second segment today, Gary Bernson, author of Jawbreaker, will be talking to us about what happened in Afghanistan in 2001. Gary Bernson is a distinguished veteran of the clandestine service of the Central Intelligence Agency, a post where he uh, served more than 20 years. In fact, he spent 23 years as an undercover operative officer with the CIA. He has served as CIA station chief three times during his career and has specialized in penetrating terrorist organizations and hostile intelligence services. Gary Bernson, acting uh, for the Counterterrorism Center, the CTC of the Central Intelligence Agency, led the incident response team that followed the bombing of the U.S. embassies in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam. He, in fact, led the investigation on the ground in Tanzania, investigating uh, the terrorist actions of al-Qaeda in Africa. In the wake of the September 11th attacks on the United States, uh, among the go-to personnel at the Central Intelligence Agency, Gary Bernson was sent to Afghanistan to direct the hostilities there against the Taliban and al-Qaeda forces. We expect a most intriguing conversation in our second segment today. Stay tuned for that. On this date in history, in 1900, physicist Henry Augustus Rowland of Johns Hopkins University discovers the cause of Earth's magnetism. Although I have to question that item because the causes of the Earth's magnetism is still somewhat obscure. But yes, the core of the Earth does act as a dynamo, generating our magnetic field, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the program. Nineteen years later, on this date in 1919, Anton Drexter founds the German Workers' Party. Adolf Hitler is member number seven. And on this date in 1976, Khmer Rouge leader Pol Pot announces a new constitution, changing the name of Cambodia to Kampuchea and legalizing its communist government. During the next three years, Pol Pot's regime would murder more than a million Cambodian people in the infamous killing fields. I can't help but editorializing that when I was a student at this uh, great institution uh, back at that time period, I was shocked and am still shocked by the lack of outrage and uh, outcry by people who are concerned about human rights violations. It just seems for some strange reason I could never fathom and still cannot that uh, the goings-on in Cambodia somehow got a pass. People were leafleting Bank of America, protesting apartheid, and apartheid surely wasn't evil, but it was nothing, nothing compared to the monstrous regime that was murdering people in Cambodia. I've always questioned uh, a few individuals of the extreme leftist uh, type uh, 
in the wake of that. I like to think that if there was a representation somewhere in the U.S. or of Cambodia that we would have seen protests there, but nevertheless, I think uh, there's no excuse for people not protesting this, uh, this horrible atrocity in some fashion. I think after that, we're going to have to go straight to our joke of the day, which was sent to us by Chris, which goes as follows. An old Arab lived close to New York City for more than 40 years. He would have loved to have planted potatoes in his garden, but he was alone, old, and he was weak. His son was in college in Paris, so the old man sent him an email. He explained the problem. Beloved son, I'm very sad because I can't plant potatoes in my garden. I'm sure if only you were here, you would help and dig up the garden for me. I love you, your father. The following day, the old man received a response email from his son. Beloved father, please don't touch the garden. It is there that I have hidden the thing. I love you too. Ahmed. At 4 p.m., the U.S. Army, the Marines, the FBI, the Army Rangers, the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security visit the house of the old man. They take the whole garden apart. They search every inch, but they can't find anything. Disappointed, they leave the house. A day later, the old man receives another email from his son. Beloved father, I hope the garden is dug up by now and you can plant your potatoes. That's all I could do for you from here. I love you, Ahmed. going to go with two quotes of the day today. The first comes from uh, the legendary comic Fred Allen, who said, a conference is a gathering of important people who singly can do nothing, but together can decide that nothing can be done. And I'd like to follow that up with a quote from Robert Siegel of NPR, who said, I've never looked at a line of cars stalled on the interstate in any rush hour without feeling Tremendous gratitude for the situation that has put those people there, giving them a chance to listen to our programs. Yes, that's NPR's Robert Siegel, host of All Things Considered on the benefits of traffic congestion. And if any of you out there are stuck in traffic congestion, well, I can't say that, you know, we're experiencing tremendous gratitude that you're there, but, you know, if you're stuck and you're listening, well, welcome aboard. And now we have an email from Shanta, which we'd like to present as a public service uh, announcement. The Johor National Parks Corporation is willing to collaborate with anyone wanting to carry out a study to verify the existence of Bigfoot in Johor, an area in Malaysia. Apparently, Director Hashim Yusuf said today there was a need for a scientific study to determine once and for all if such a creature existed in Johor. Without dismissing the claims of sightings of Bigfoot, he said his staff had found no physical evidence of the presence of Bigfoot either in the Endau Rompin National Park or the Tanjung Piai National Park. So if you're interested in exploring the matter of a Malaysian Bigfoot, please go on the web and, and track this one down. We have to regret to report that we don't have a fresh copy of The Week magazine because it hasn't uh, come out, uh, at least I haven't gotten my copy yet. But fortunately, I found an old issue that I had not extracted fully. It's Good Week 4, Bad Week 4 section. So even though we're referring to a week back in August, let's just go forward with it was a good week for heightism that week after a 6-foot, 10-inch man was turned down for a job as a British air traffic controller. He'd passed all the tests, 
but officials then discovered that his legs would not fit under the desk. Whereas that week, it was a bad week for good intentions after a Berlin restaurant called Longing, which specializes in making food alluring to people with eating disorders, announced it may go out of business. Apparently, its tables are generally empty. Now, having just passed into the new year, of course, there's always, uh, always at the end of the year, uh, various lists of from things that people hate to words not to use in the upcoming year, uh, lame excuses of 2005, etc. And I've got a bunch of these in front of me, and I thought I would just selectively pull some out for your listening pleasure. Right, I've got in my hands here from the B, uh, which was a look at uh, words uttered by notable people. We're going to cross-reference that to the News and Reviews Arts and Culture 100 article by Robert Berry about 100 Things I Hate. All right. Mr. Berry speculates, uh, how good can things be going for you when you have to choose to stay with Jennifer Aniston or hook up with Angelina Jolie? Of course, he notes hooking up with the ex-lover of Billy Bob Thornton without consulting a hazmat crew is asking for trouble. I'd like to cross-cut that with uh, the Bees article. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston commented to Vanity Fair about her ex-husband Brad Pitt's blonde dye job last August. Yeah, Billy Idol called. He wants his look back. <laughs> For Mr. Barry's list number two, irritating things, the Tower Bridge. He notes, sure, there are two minutes of twilight each day where the paint job actually looks gold but the rest of the day, it resembles the contents of a baby's diaper. And while we're uh, talking about Sacramento, uh, l- let's agree with Mr. Barry on this item. A traffic easement signs in downtown Sacramento. He notes, it's hard enough to drive in Sacramento without these confusing signs with 50 arrows pointing in every direction. Yes, we must confess we find the traffic easement signs in downtown Sacramento incomprehensible. We're not sure what they're doing for traffic. You know, on any, any individual street, it's, uh, it's easing traffic. And I guess overall, it is easing traffic because everybody gets so frustrated and disgusting, they just take the freeway around downtown. I like his number 41, Enzite adds, When a guy has trouble getting erections, he should deal with it the old-fashioned way. And buy a new Hummer. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Hummers, the Hummers' main cheerleader, California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, was quoted in the B on the same article as saying, If I would do another Terminator movie, I would have Terminator travel back in time and tell Arnold not to have a special election. All right, what, what probably has to be the worst quote of the year came from who else? Cable News pundit Bill O'Reilly. Uh, who said after San Francisco voted to ban military recruiters from city schools, quote, if Al-Qaeda comes in here and blows you up, we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to say, look, every other place in America is off limits to you except San Francisco. You want to blow up the Coit Tower? Go ahead. And three final clips from Mr. Barry about things he dislikes. Number 61 was Kabbalah. He noted, when your religion gets an energy drink named after it, Perhaps it's time to rethink your beliefs. (laughs) Noting a position 72, which he didn't like, was Cedric the Entertainer. He simply asked, why hasn't someone sued him for false advertising yet? And my favorite among the things he found most annoying in 2005, Doom, the movie. 
Why the never-ending quest to make movies out of video games? Before long, we'll be watching Pong, the motion picture. Lake Superior State University in Michigan uh, released last week its 2006 list of words and phrases banished from the Queen's English for misuse, overuse, and general uselessness. The choices were made by a university committee amongst 2,000 nominations. Um, the school is a small academic outpost in the Upper Peninsula community of Sault Ste. Marie. It's been compiling the banned words list since 1976 to attract publicity, but certainly not to offer anyone talking points. The committee has targeted hunker down, which it noted is used by the media in reports about just about everything from politics to hurricanes. The committee came down on the up or down vote, a phrase uttered often in 2005 by Republicans eager to see President Bush's nominees move through the Senate without threats of filibuster. Here's one for talk radio. They suggested that people refrain from referring to themselves as first-time caller because they asked in all seriousness, who cares? Uh, my favorite among their list of banned words was, quote, person of interest, unquote. This is a favorite of law enforcement agencies, but they noted that such a person is, quote, seldom encountered at cocktail parties, unquote. But to balance off words that you shouldn't use, the editors of the Historical Dictionary of American Slang have uh, added a couple that they recommend. <laughs> the runner-up uh, for the slang of the year was spokesweasel, which, which we kind of like. But the winner <laughs> was jump the couch. This is defined as strange or frenetic behavior when it was coined when Tom Cruise jumped up and down on TV talk show Oprah Winfrey's couch to proclaim his love for Katie Holmes. I have a picture in my hand of Tom Cruise jumping on the couch. I have to admit, it looks pretty stupid. You know, the worst thing about that episode with Tom Cruise is that it raised questions in everyone's mind who saw it that he was genuinely serious about this girl. Or, or should I say this woman? She's 27. But I mean, everybody, it caused everyone to doubt his sincerity. So I don't know, not such a good job for the powerhouse actor of Hollywood. We liked also uh, Lisa Hayamoto's uh, um, a five spot look at rumors, good rumors that circulated, uh, prominent rumors that circulated in 2005. She's a B staff writer. Uh, she loaded rumor number two was that the Maloofs have devious plans to move the Kings to Vegas or Anaheim or Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I did like her item number three. Gossip hounds have been a Twitter with the idea that Tom Cruise has somehow brainwashed his pregnant fiance Katie Holmes into becoming his Scientology Stepford wife. Because, you know, she points out, who'd want to marry Tom Cruise? She closed out with, the latest word in conspiracy theories is the U.S. government's been for years spying on its citizens using supercomputers and a satellite system without court approval. Which she closed with, <laughs> Yes, and of course, conspiracy theories be damned. It turned out the last one was true. Speaking of the Maloofs, we like the editorial of the Sacramento News and Review, the December 29th issue, the five arena myths about ARCO. Myth number one, they noted the new arena will promote economic growth. They said that economists don't agree on much, but there's a strong consensus that sports arenas don't boost the economy. 
They don't even produce enough new jobs or tax revenue to justify their construction costs, let alone the ongoing costs for infrastructure and operations. Here, here. Their myth number three was ARCO is obsolete. Knowing that it was built in 1988, ARCO is not the decrepit wreck that some have claimed. And whatever minor problems it has could be fixed for much less than $400 million. And myth number four was the Maloofs are ready to move the team. The billionaire Maloof brothers who own the Kings have stated they're not anxious to leave and uh, the Sacramento News and Review believes them because Sacramento is an excellent NBA market and would be difficult to find a better one. They say, think Anaheim is better? Ask the Clippers who opted to share the Staples Center with the Lakers rather than stay at the Pond in Anaheim. You know, I know I can count on you listeners that if the, if, if the Sacramento Kings keep saying they're going to move, I know that many of you are volunteered to pitch in and help them pack. I certainly will. You know, the boys just built a billion-dollar casino in Vegas. Why don't they move the team there? We liked also the reports from MSNBC uh, about looking back at 2005 by Alex Johnson. He called it the year of lame excuses. He started out with President Bush's statement on September 1st, three days after Hurricane Katrina punctured the system of dams protecting New Orleans. I don't think anybody anticipated the breach of the levees. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't true, as subsequent news reports made clear, but it did sound good at the time. This is tied in the lame excuses department by Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff, who said three days later, I remember on Tuesday morning picking up newspapers and saw headlines, New Orleans dodged the bullet. Because if you'll recall, the storm moved to the east, then continued on and appeared to pass with considerable damage, but nothing worse. Alex Johnson notes, of course, it didn't. And even if it had, that would have only meant the bullet took out Mississippi and Alabama rather than Louisiana. But it sounded good at the time. He also quoted Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, Republican Tennessee, and a heart surgeon, who, referring to Terry Schiavo, said, This is not somebody in a persistive vegetative state. Turns out, of course, as her autopsy proved, she was. But it sounded good at the time. Mr. Johnson ran out his article with, uh, with several, several items, among them uh, the fact that four syndicated newspaper columnists were outed as paid shills for corporate or political interests. That's Armstrong Williams, Maggie Gallagher, and Michael McManus, all of whom took money to promote Bush administration policies under the guise of independent commentary. Added to the list, Doug Bandow. He was found to be on the payroll of indicted lobbyist Jack Abramoff. Here's an item we missed completely on Radio Parallax, but apparently during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York, NBC cut to tape of last year's parade rather than report that a float had just knocked over a street lamp, injuring two people. Apparently, Katie Couric, Matt Lauer, and Al Roker, who are employees of NBC News, instead read from scripts describing what viewers were seeing in year-old footage. And he noted in a year of lame excuses that, without explanation, the Denver Daily News printed the following correction in July. The Denver Daily News would like to offer a sincere apology for a typo in Wednesday's town talk regarding New Jersey's proposal to ban smoking in automobiles. It was not the author's intention to call New Jersey Jew Jersey.
All right, and our final item of uh, this segment comes from the Celebrity Watch. In case you're not paying attention, Tom Jones, the big-voiced singer from Wales, uh, apparently is now a knight of the realm. He joins a group of previous rockers, including Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Mick Jagger, and Sir Elton John. From now on, it's Sir Tom Jones. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Now stay tuned for our second segment. We'll be speaking with Gary Bernson, a personal account by the CIA's key field commander. Stay tuned. Thank you. 